is up, my people? Welcome to Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. My name is Sean Arnold. With me tonight is a guy that I adore. I've known for a long, long time. He is a musician from Atlanta, really from Bowden. West Georgia. (laughs) Very talented guy. um, Is now with Gareth Asher and the Earthlings. You can find him on iTunes and at a local singer-songwriter joint concert venue slash music room near you. You can find him at uh, www.garethasher.com. It's G-A-R-E-T-H-A-S-H-E-R. Uh, go see him. Go buy his music. Uh, if you already have it, buy some more. My friend, <laughs> Gareth Asher. What's up, dude? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I appreciate you coming in. Well, you know what? You, uh, you hear from a friend, and he's doing something new and great, and I want to be a part of it. So uh, it's good to see you. The funny thing is, is when I was when when this whole baby was born... <laughs> like when I was sort of going through the genesis of the idea and what I wanted to do and that whole deal, you're actually someone that I thought about um, when I was in the process of doing it. So I've told the story before. I'll tell a, a quick, I'll tell the abbreviated version. Um, I went to a one man show with Kevin Smith, you know, the director that uh, did Clerks and Dogma and Jay and Silent Bob, you know, right. that guy. And I thought it was just going to be a funny show because he's a funny guy and it was more, not a stand up, but it's more like just sort of a one man, you know, where you just sort of tell stories. And it ended up being like 60% motivational speech about effectively, if you feel the urge to create, you just need to create, right? Because it can't be about how many albums you sell or how many books you sell or whether or not you get on MTV or who, whatever, like creators create because they don't have a choice, right? There's something inside you that drives you to, to make something. I 100% agree with that. So I've wanted to do this forever. And that was sort of my jumping off point to like, but I thought about you because I did not want to, this was for much later, but we'll just go ahead and dive into it. Now, one of the things that I really like about you that I think is really amazing is that, uh, you just strike me as that guy to where you're very sort of dialed in on what you want out of this trip. Mm -hmm. And, you have a voice and you feel like you should use it and you put stuff out there. And I just feel like a lot of people, like there's a lot of people that won't, you know, that would never do it because it's like, well, I can't make any money or will never do it because I can't. Um, what if people don't like what I do or I'm not going to do it because I'm self-conscious about what I'm going to say or I'm not confident enough to just put stuff out there. Whatever the fear may be. And that's not you. Yeah. I was lucky enough to grow up in a family to where fear was was X'd out. You know, whenever I was letting fear come into my decision making, I was I was raised in a in a loving family that taught me that that wasn't the right way to be, and uh, and it came from many different aspects of of life. But uh, once I chose, or once it chose me, once music chose me, there was no denying that through the power of a song. You can you can do so much good for people. Not only myself, but when you see a song change somebody's life for the better, and feel that <clears throat> that magic happen in inside them through their words to you and telling how they tell you, like this song changed my life. And there's there's no way to put your finger on it, but I knew uh, that that was immediately my calling. You know. 
and to feel 100% sure in something that is so so uh genuine and helpful to the world was was an easy decision you know and once i made that decision there's not there's been no turning back yeah absolutely but but the larger point though i think is i don't know man i think there are a lot of people that if you say meet me at the new brave stadium they say all right well i pull out of my house and i turn left on Peachtree Industrial, and then I get to the sign that says 285 East or West, and I get on it, and I drive, and I get off at the Turner Field exit or the Sundress Park exit, and I park, and I go in. You are the kind of guy that was just like, <laughs> I know not, what direction it is. I'm just going to head that way. Yeah, or like, <laughs> you know what? There might not be a road there, but I think it might be better for me if I go that way. I'm going to find a dirt road that leads <laughs> right to center field. <laughs> so I'll just, but like, do you? I mean, does is it? Does it dawn on you that that's unusual? Like with sort of the right, like for people to just go to just chase. And again, I don't, I don't, maybe I'm giving you too much credit. <laughs> hey, keep, keep feeding me. No, I mean, I, I recognize that my way is definitely different than everybody else's way. Thank uh, God. I do recognize that and I'm, I'm completely okay with that. Um, no, it's an awesome thing. And not that I'm so different. I mean, there's so many people, so many talented people doing great things in music, but. I think what what's at the heart of my uh, my path is is genuine and true, and I've I've always tried to keep that at the forefront of of what I do, stay true to what I believe, and never let anything come in in between that. I think everybody should do that. Yeah, I mean, do do you think that um, that can you think of something on how you found that, or were you just always that way, or was it supportive parents or friends or definitely supportive parents uh, and. Not in the way that my parents said, go chase your dreams, which they did, but I grew up, <clears throat> excuse me, um, my stepfather was a seventh degree black belt in, in martial arts, and so I was raised, I started doing karate at five years old, and, and, and becoming a student to not only uh, the martial arts and, and how good that is for your body and your your mentality and your physical and, and your brain, but also learning from him how to have patience and give your best effort to everything you do. And when you make a decision, you follow through on it. And when you do a job, you don't half-ass it. You do it the best you can. And so that became, that became me at a very young age. And um, I, I owe all of that to them. You know, like, otherwise I would... Still be in Bowden, Georgia, you know, working on a farm or, you know, or working at the local Save You Foods or whatever, you know. I, and they taught me how to, to believe in myself and to never let anything stop me from getting what I want. And I've, that's what I've been doing. I've been getting what I want as isn't, much as possible. Isn't it crazy how... That's something I think later in life I've realized that I didn't think about before, especially since I lost my dad, um, who died. It's been three years ago now, which is kind of hard to believe. But because mm-hmm. um, I meet people that didn't have that. So I had a similar, you know, I was in Cartersville, which might as well be Bowden. And, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we and, played each other in, in sports. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny. I had a conversation with Butch Walker um, I always say not too long ago, but I guess it has been a little while ago now. But because we went to the same high school, and I'm like, Butch, what are the odds that you and I? Now I'm not comparing myself to Butch, who is 
<laughs> obviously uber successful and super producer, but just like where we landed and the things we got to do and see and like that we just sort of got out. I mean, that's not a slag at Cartersville or anything, but you know, it's one of those places where a lot of people tend to just stay and don't really branch out much. Um, and it just was sort of, a, it's amazing, I guess, how life does that. But again, like I, I've taken a lot of inventory since dad passed and uh, there are people that don't have that. And I feel really bad for them, you know, that didn't have a good parent you know, relationship or, mm-hmm. and I know it probably happens more often than you it's think. Very, it's very common. So I'm just really grateful, you know, that I had, had that. I think it's the the biggest blessing of my life is my family without a doubt. And you also have a sister who we are very it's close to, who very is important part of that puzzle outside of being your sister, which I don't have. That's another thing is I don't have siblings. So sometimes it's really hard for me to sort of comprehend. I, I think that, my best friends in the world. I sort of imagine it's similar, but obviously it's another level than that. But she also happens to be like your biggest fan. Oh God. <laughs> and she's, uh, she's really good at it too. Yeah. Really good. Anytime, anytime there's anything happening in my life, she's sharing it with everybody she knows. And I'm eternally grateful for her. Not only in that aspect, but she puts a lot of work in too. You know, she's helped me through the years. She, Showed me what MySpace was or showed me what Facebook was. MySpace. Yeah, like take it back. Like I'm the kind of guy that doesn't pay attention to those things until somebody tells me it's time for me to pay attention to them. And she's always been the one. Like, you need to be doing this. You should do this. And They're like, hey, 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 Gareth. Gareth. Wake up. You put put the guitar down for a second. Yeah. (laughs) We need to look at this over here for a minute. And it's important, you know? (laughs) It's very important to have somebody that, keeps you on your toes not only biggest fan but uh i mean she's she's pretty much been my manager throughout my life without giving her the term or the the pay for it (laughs) i owe you some money yeah sibling she's a she's a big a big-hearted human so she we were friends and then she worked at the bar that i played at and then eventually owned for Mm -hmm. a minute and then i just love her to death but you're right i mean she she uh I mean, I remember when she you was were taking going. me to thrift stores and saying, "You need some different clothes. You got to get out of this Bowden Red Devils T-shirt and put on something a little more fancier before you get on stage." So, speaking of, this is you, you'll probably find this funny um, or not. You might just get up and leave, and this will be the shortest podcast in history. <laughs> um, Shoot. So, Roberts was the name of the place, mm-hmm. and I actually remember the very first night you ever came and played in Roberts. Do you really? And I really didn't like you good <laughs> that means I, I, I i've ruffled some feathers <laughs> the funny and i've actually thought of, i've never told you that and i've thought about it a bunch of times in retrospect and i don't know if it was and it wasn't like there was i mean there's an age differential it's not massive but i think you'll agree with this i think there are sort of points in life where you sort of mature exponentially mm-hmm. you know i think probably Sometime around the early teen years, you kind of make a leap. But, you know, between like what would be the end of high school and kind of like your mid-20s when you're when you f- have to go be on your own, there's kind of an exponential jump because it's just like, oh, shit, like I got to do this. I got to do this by myself, you know. And I don't know if it was maybe that, but I remember, man, it's like you guys came in and with the jeans and the boots and like the 
like sort of the jersey, the t-shirt jersey and the ball caps. And I don't know if it was just like, and I was kind of a dickhead at that point in my life anyway. So <laughs> I think it was just, and I was more You weren't like, ready for the change. No, no. But I think it just was like, you guys were kids, right? You were like 18 or 19 years old, right? So, um, and I don't know. And, in, and also too, thinking back, I think maybe it was, and this is what I want to ask you. I think I felt like you were overconfident. It was sort of that kind of dickhead idea of like, I've been doing this shit for a long time. And here this kid comes from, you know, out in the woods and he's just walking around like he owns a place. But now that I know you, I feel like it was more about maybe there was just a little fear and a little trepidation to just the idea of what you were doing. And then it was coming into the city and, Buckhead was crazy back then and all that. And I think maybe that's sort of how you how you guys dealt with it. Because I think it was, was it you and Josh? Yeah, Josh was playing guitar with me. And, and I think in that time, for I sure. think in retrospect, it was more just about, it wasn't that you were at Pompous or anything. I just think maybe I interpreted that way because I think you were just trying to feel your, I mean, feel I, your way around. I think that's been a, uh, a consistent thing throughout my life. Me being very confident in myself and, and, uh, persistent in my path and not wavering from that is uh intimidating to some people because they don't see themselves doing it for for lack of better words you know um whatever the reason is whatever i was doing i wasn't trying to wave a flag and say i'm taking over town <laughs> no, I know. it was just me being myself and confident in it and i'm very confident in myself <laughs> because i know my path i know what i'm doing i know what i want to uh, put out in my message and I know what I want to re- reciprocate in feelings from the people that I'm around and so uh, yeah I was I, I'm, I'm sorry I was an asshole no you no, you, <laughs> you weren't you weren't like I said I, I think that was more of me projecting than you doing anything you know but I remember when it flipped though too I remember that I definitely remember that what's that when when we became friends oh which time what are you talking about well, just when we started talking instead oh. of just brushing shoulders. Well, yeah, and here's the funny thing, though. I think it was right before that, and I think this is what maybe led me to be more available, you know what I mean, to do that is because I think at first when you came in, it was like, you know, you guys were kids. And I've said all along, and I still think this is true as I listen to your music and this is a good thing, I think that you constantly get better. I mean, and not to say that I didn't like early things you do, but every time I hear something new, I'm like, fuck, man, oh, this is man. better. Um, <laughs> thank God. But uh, that's the goal, though. You know, like I can't listen to I can't listen to my first record because it just sounds like a completely different human being. Not only in my in in my delivery and my voice, but also in the words, my vocabulary at that age versus what I what you know what I'm trying to say now. What the messages we're putting out now. Uh, it's it's hard, you know. And people will request those songs from that very first record I made, and it's like. Nope. <laughs> Not doing that. Can't even begin to bring myself to be that person right now. Yeah, so but what this flip for me was, I, I'm 95% sure it was at CJ's. Because then like you started playing, and then you just started playing around the circuit like everybody played. Right. It was and, like the trifecta back then. Yeah, CJ, CJ's Landing, Tin Roof, and Roberts. How beautiful was that time? Oh, it was a gorgeous time. I mean, it was just so wonderful. I remember taking breaks, and we'd we'd take a break at one bar, and we'd run across the street <laughs> to, uh, and like we would even flip flop, like, all right, 
we're gonna take a break at the same time. You go take my gig. I'm gonna take your gig. Yeah, and 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 give 20 minutes of music to your crowd, and then we'll flip flop back. And it was, I don't know, it was a beautiful time. But I was at so, C, I was at CJ's one night, and I remember when you first came, and like that, I remember that very first night, and I was like, eh, kids playing <laughs> kids playing covers. You know what I mean? And again, like probably me just being a dick. But I remember a few. It wasn't long. It was maybe four months later, and. I was at CJ's one night, um, just over there hanging out, and you were playing. And I remember sitting there going, "God damn, like he's pretty good." <laughs> Some I, I played your favorite Fleetwood Mac songs. <laughs> but I think I just and I, and again, I don't think it was necessarily like you figured the world out in that time. I think maybe I just allowed myself to not, you know what I mean, to sort of oh, escape of that bias for a minute. I mean. Think of how many life lessons we've learned when we allow ourselves to, instead of putting up a wall in between us and something that's entering our our surroundings. I mean, I do it all the time. Oh, oh, that's what's happening. <laughs> Versus what I'm telling myself what's happening. But I've actually used that as a life lesson like for the rest of my life because I t- now I, I try to be more... Because I think all of us instinctually have some gut about someone when we meet them. You know, there's, there's a natural you know, just whatever gut reaction. And I always tell myself when that happens to be negative or not great, it's like, mm, don't do that, dude. You know, give you gotta, you gotta allow somebody cause people could easily do. I mean, I have the kind of qualities where people could, you know, I'm loud. I talk a lot. You know, I tend to kind of be the center of a circle of conversation if it happens yeah. and that can rub people the wrong way. So I wouldn't want people to do that to me. So, I've actually taken that experience with you and I've leveraged it. I continue to leverage it. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Don't be a dick. (laughs) I mean, I I understand what you're saying. I mean, that's, I think that's a constant thing that we're all trying to learn is not to let our own perspectives jade our thoughts about situations before we actually have time to, to figure out what's really going on. Did you, were you writing music at that time or was you just, were you doing really, cover thing? Really bad music. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm talking about the very beginning, like when you were like 18, 19. I mean, I'm joking. Like I say, it's really bad music. It's just, that's me referencing, uh, the, the, the teenager and the, the youth and not really having experience. It, it wasn't bad music for me then. I really enjoyed it. It's just now it's like, it's not who I am, but, uh, yeah, I was definitely writing. Wasn't, so you were always writing, like you didn't start thinking like, oh, I'll just play some covers and then you're I mean, like, I mean, it started out as sweet little poems for girlfriends in high school uh, that were horrible. <laughs> I mean, really bad. But uh, <laughs> but then it turned into something to where you would have that one guy in the room like, man, you should do something with that. Man, you got to do something with that. So that's what I'm doing. I'm, a, I'm over here doing something with it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like, the more and more you put yourself out there, especially in a, in a musical sense, and you're you're sharing your voice, because that's that's the purest thing that we all own is our our voice, what comes from inside of us, and it's a scary thing at first to get on a stage and do that. But the more you do it, the more you have people say, "You should do something with that." You you feel a little bit more confident in it, and and you can get out there and deliver your message the way you want to versus be- being up there and shaking and, and hitting all the wrong chords and, you know, scared to death what somebody's going to think about you. Right. 
I've always said that, like, I tell people, because I'm not really the most talented musician in the world. Like, I, I feel like I, if you put me in a neighborhood party, I'm probably pretty good. But, like, if you put me with a bunch of our friends, I'm easily the redheaded stepchild um, as far as <laughs> talent goes. <laughs> um, but that's okay, right? Like, because I obviously have not committed the kind of time and effort like you and others have. It's it. I mean, short of the memory dean days, and that was a long time ago. It wasn't really a career for for me. It was more just for fun. But um, but I but I made up the difference with confidence and trying to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. Like that was really my shtick. It's like if you listen to a tape of this later, you're gonna think, "What is this?" But when you're there, you're gonna think. Wow, that was this was fun. Yeah. Being in the room is so much different than listening to the audio recording. No doubt. But I'll tell you a first time story that is just <laughs> So I I I bought a guitar on a whim when I was a freshman in college. So I didn't start I was eighteen or whatever when I started. And it's because my teammate on the baseball team in college already played and we roomed together. And you know, when you're on the road for those kinds of things, you can't go anywhere because you're on curfew. And, you know, so you're just sitting in a hotel room. So he would bring his guitar on the road. And I said, well, if I get one, will you show me some stuff? And that's kind of how I started playing. But there was like a coffee house open mic they had at Mercer. And it was in like the student union, you know, just the little general area. <laughs> and I finally got up the It was two songs. And I finally got up the courage. And like, it was like an Indigo Girl song, of course, because everyone learns <laughs> one of those. And then like something else. And I remember going up there and the guy that played ahead of me and open mic had a problem with his guitar. And he's like, Hey, can I use your guitar? And I was like, yeah, man. I mean, sure. Whatever. So he had some weird fucked up tuning that he needed to do for his song. And he didn't put it back. He didn't. (laughs) And I actually didn't really know how to tune it quickly. And I started to play, and I was like, this doesn't sound right. But I was so freaked out <laughs> that I just played the entire song. <laughs> In the wrong tuning. <laughs> with like some like crazy like dad gad tuning yeah. or something. And it just was t- – and like I was like, I'm never picking this thing up again. Like it almost ruined me. Like I felt like – because people in the crowd were looking. Everyone knew it was wrong, but nobody wanted to, you know yeah. – and I got that like <laughs> when I finished. I got that like, oh, the golf clap. <laughs> like he's ah, <"Aw." laughs> he's, he's tried. He tried so hard, and it just didn't work. <laughs> it was just like, again, but I was being nice. I was letting him use my guitar. <laughs> Don't I get any credit for that? But it's a mere. I guess again, once again, thank God for a little bit of arrogance. I guess because I didn't stop. But uh well once you've started there's you might as well power through. Well sure. Unless you uh unless you can tune it really quickly <laughs> on the fly. <laughs> but it was just so brutal. Like I have college buddies that still, hey man, remember that time you played that song and it sounded like shit <laughs> in front of everybody? I'm like, Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I'll probably be re- It's a scar. <laughs> exactly. It's burned into my head. It'll never <laughs> fucking change. Like I just can't I mean, oh so did you um it's always interesting to me. Here's also something for you that I think is a little different. And, and I'm just, this is based on my sort of my reality or my knowledge of musicians. <clears throat> I feel like there's a lot of people that are songwriters that, and for people listening that don't, that aren't music people, 
there's almost like a it's weird, like a gang mentality between like cover guys and guys that are original song guys. Like it's sort of that, you know, I write music, I play other people's music. I'm just a bar musician. I'm trying to be a professional musician or whatever. And sometimes there's almost a looking down on that happens, you know, or looking down on the gigs. Like, ugh, I don't want to play a cover gig. I just want to play my originals. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, I think I know the answer to this, but one thing I think is interesting about you is, is that I feel like you've always sort of embraced covers. Um, totally. And I think you do. But what's great about them is I think you take any cover you do and and move it into Gareth's voice. Instead of just trying to replicate what, you know, what I think, it is. I think that's important. I mean, that's what's important to me. Um I've never been one to to try to sound like Eddie Vedder when I'm singing a Pearl Jam song. <laughs> I'm going to sing it the way I sing it because that's how it feels okay to me to take your message that inspired me and then let me deliver it in the way that I feel it with any song, you know. Um, and I I give a lot of homage to you know Sam Cooke and Otis Redding when I first heard them singing. That's that's really I, mean, I I loved music at a young age, but when I heard that that making Georgia Soul coming out, that's when it changed. That's when it clicked in my head to uh, to sing from a different place, not not try to sing the same way that what that what I'm hearing on the radio, not try to imitate it, but sing from a place that comes from deep within you and from a place of whether it's pain or joy or whatever emotion that's moving you, come from that spot. Don't come from a place of trying to imitate the world around you. Uh, so yeah, I always related that. I mean, I love I love singing cover songs when it's a song that, damn it, I I feel like I wrote this song, and you know, in a different world, in a different lifetime, a different dimension of the universe, this is my song because I feel it that way, mm-hmm. and that is the cover song that I will play in my set. You know, even in an original show, I throw cover songs in just to give you a piece, a taste of what moves me that we all know. Yeah. It's funny. I've always said that, um, that's something I've always said with covers is I feel like it's a way to give someone that doesn't know you a way to understand you with a common frame of reference. Yeah. It's a window to your world. Like this is something that moves me. And if it moves you too, then we have a connection that we didn't know existed before through a song. Yeah. Which is the beauty of music. You know, I can, um, I can even remember, I think the first time I ever heard you play a song where it evoked emotion for me and it was a cover of I Shall Be Released. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you still do that one. Oh, yeah. That's probably my favorite cover I've ever heard you do. That's a great song. Um, but that song has value for me. Yeah. So there's probably a little bit of transference. And it's it's the reason i cover started covering that song was because someone i loved was covering it you know i i didn't learn that song because i heard bob dylan sing it i learned it because i heard jeff buckley sing it yeah it's ridiculous and he took it and turned it into something that made sense to my ears in a way that moved me and became a song that i wanted to sing um which also opened a big door for me to pay attention to who bob dylan was sure a lot more than i was doing before then it's like there's these great songs, and I may not have heard them as great songs because of his voice, but then when you hear an angelic voice like Jeff Buckley take it and do what he did with it, then it became something that was palpable to to me, you know, like something I could take in and feel. It's like, oh, I got to sing that because that's 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 part of me now. 
if you get a chance, if you haven't heard it before, Google um, the Love for Levon concert, Levon Helm. Mm-hmm. Grace Potter does a version of it. It You can ask her. Well, I'll cut it out. Hey, baby. <laughs> Will you do that? That's a wine refill. That's a wine refill. Don't <laughs> cut that out. We're getting more wine. <laughs> uh, the sad thing is, is we're already a glass in before we ever even, uh, before we ever even got this thing rolling. There ain't nothing sad about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, but Grace Potter does that song, and it's just with like organ. You know, she's playing the organ, and it's so. It's something. I don't know if you're a Grace Potter fan. I've never seen her live, but I've heard her. I've definitely heard her music and I love what I hear. Check out that version of it. It's really cool. But um But yeah, I, I just and I think there's a large it's funny how like when I have conversations with people about music, I have a some <laughs> again, maybe this is back to me being a dick. That might be the theme <laughs> of the show. There's a lesson to be learned here um, tonight. It's um I think that it it music is really important to me, right? For for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um but I definitely feel songs. I think there are some people that don't feel songs at all. Like it's just part of, you know, it's just whatever. It's a jukebox in the background and it's not that for me. Soundtrack to my life, but maybe I'm not paying enough attention to it. Or, or it's just, you know, uh, I tend to get really deep into songs, right? Like I tend to get way down, you know what I mean? And it, maybe it's the musician in me i guess from you know where it's like i'm looking at lots of the things going on it's not just this. what does this mean <laughs> or it's not just like oh this is a catchy hook or whatever like it's right. like what's being said here you know like what's the intent um but i have a hard time connecting with people that don't think of music that way um and i just was reminded of it again and i think because i don't play a lot anymore i go through stretches you know where i'll there's always music around, but where it really resonates with me, where I'm doing the thing that I hate, where it's just I have stuff on and it just kind of goes to where it really starts to me. But we went to see Tears for Fears and Hall and Oates Sunday night. Um, and Roland Orsabel, which is the lead singer of Tears for Fears, you know that. Everybody else probably doesn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think his voice is just otherworldly. Mm-hmm. I lo- he, they're my favorite 80s band by a long shot. And... He starts playing, and I was like, this isn't a Tears for Fear song. And it was Creep by Radiohead. And first of all, I was like, oh, because that's also one of my favorite bands, and I love that song. Oh, yeah. And and it's also been done a million times, so you run the risk of that being trite because everyone's covered it. But like, he starts doing it. And he did it just sort of with just an electric guitar and him. And it was like the light, you know, the spot. And and I literally started to cry. You know, like, and I don't mean like sob, but I, you know, tear. Like, because that song, we won't get into it, but there, I'm connected with that song a few different ways. But it just was, it's a feeling that I wish everyone could have. That idea of, and then thinking about the universe, like, I'm in a room with 25,000 people or whatever it is. And I'm having this singular moment and I don't know that guy, but to your point, like you feel like the string is attached Mm -hmm. on both ends. Like, I think that's the best way I can describe it. Right. And it just was a powerful reminder of what music is. 
And I, I bet you he sang it in his own way. He did. <laughs> he did. He wasn't trying to sound like Tom York. No, no. Then again, if I sounded like Roland, I'd probably sing everything in my own way. If I had a voice <laughs> like yours, I'd probably sing everything in my own way. <laughs> oh, those are pretty good voices. Yeah, I mean, that's always a thing, like doing cover songs, especially a song like that, when it's been done so many times by so many amazing musicians. Or, you know, like even like covering like a Jeff Buckley song, there was a moment where I was like, I'm never going to play a Jeff Buckley song. Sure. And I think a lot of musicians have said that. It's like, there's no way I can bring justice to this trying to to cover his music, but you, you can't do what he does. You can't even come close to doing what he does. But that's... That's also the time when I also realized I don't have to do the song the way he does it. So I think that was that, that was a turning point. It, it was a big turning point for me. Not only branching my brain out into different ways of thinking about singing, but also realizing I don't have to sing like him. I can take points from how he sings and let myself scream when I want to scream or sing really low when I want to get really low, but... But don't don't try to imitate what he does. And if you can't hit that note, don't try to hit that note. Take, take it somewhere that is pleasant for you in, in in your comfortable range. Stretch when you need to stretch, but don't don't make an ass out of yourself trying to sound like <laughs> Jeff Buckley. Right, because it ain't gonna happen. Because it ain't gonna happen. Your wine's here, dog. Fantastic. Arrival. Thank you. Um. Oh, see, now let's the go, girls are gonna go hang. Let's out. Going to look at some plants. <laughs> You can leave that open. It's hot as crap in here. Okay. Um, Thank you. Uh, I need like a box fan or something in here. It got warm all of a sudden. I'm pretty comfy. All right. Well, that's good. Guess is what matters. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. There we go. There, that's it. See, there really is wine. That wasn't a sound effect or anything. Mm -hmm. Actual wine glasses clinking together. What are we drinking? 19 Crimes? Uh, no, I think we... Did we switch? No, no, I think the 19 crimes lasted about four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it was 19 crimes committed in four minutes. <laughs> now we're on to... I think the bottle you brought. What'd you bring? I don't know. Just picked one. I think it's 14 horses, so we're into the we're in the yeah, teens. The next one's going to be... 19 crimes and 14 horses. Sounds like we're writing a song. Yeah, 10 drummers drumming. What is it, <laughs> 13 days of Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> um Here's the thing about Buckley, too, just a side note, because outside of the fact that you're never going to sound like Jeff Buckley, that shit is actually really complicated. Like, it's technically difficult, you know? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I saw... I, I was infatuated for a, a brief moment in my life with what he was doing when I discovered it, and it's especially because he had already died, and I couldn't... The only way I could to soak it up was to go back in what he had already done. I couldn't go see him live. I couldn't go to a concert. And I remember seeing so many interviews where musicians were just like the best musicians you've ever heard of, like from Led Zeppelin or, or uh, for whatever band that you might idolize a guitar, favorite guitar player. Uh, you know, Jimmy Page was like, I thought he was doing things in different tunings and he wasn't. Yeah. And he was doing it all in standard tunings and, and, it blew his mind. Like you blow Jimmy Page's mind. You're <laughs> you're doing something. You're achieving something, you know. And so uh, I don't know. I took a lot from that. That 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 was right when I moved to Atlanta too. I was back in the CJ's Landing days. Yeah. And it was teaching me to not conform to to one way. 
to to branch out and to stretch to do things that were a little more challenging and come up with different chords and don't just play G, C, and D. Find something pretty that you don't even know what the hell it is, but it's pretty. And figure it out and make it work and, and sing in a way that's a little uncomfortable, but you might stretch your voice into a new place you didn't know existed. Uh, so that was a, that was a big uh, a big turning point for me in music. Yeah, because you don't really have formal guitar training, right? Not at all. Yes. None. So that's an interesting... My dad showed me G, C, and D, and A minor, and I tried to play an F, and it didn't work for a long time. <laughs> Those goddamn bar chords. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's actually a, 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 another lesson, because same thing, like I just bought like a guitar and Mel Bay's guitar chords, and I had a buddy that you know was yeah. willing to help me oh, out. Oh, Mel's chord book? Yeah. I had that. I, the, the best way I... I mean, the way I taught myself how to play guitar was learning songs that I liked. Sure. You know, at that age, it was like, I love this song. I'm going to figure it out. And and through that process, you, you learn how chord structures go together and and and, and melody and, and free form and, and whatever. Whatever the songwriting is to you, like that's how I learned how to write songs was by learning other people's songs and seeing how they were doing what they were doing. And it opened up at least that part of the world to where I could say, all right, I'm not going to go here. I'm going to go here and change it up and make it my own. But, uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm really going with this. No, no, yeah. So so one, a great lesson I learned is, again, one day, like Memory Dane days, we were out on the road. And you know this, like the road, when you're a touring band, especially if you're out supporting a record, the, mm-hmm. the road is... Um, the road and the bus and the backstage before and sound checks are when you can work on stuff, new right. stuff. I mean, it's, it's it's a short window that you can actually work on stuff because there's so much going on. Yeah, and you know, or you'll end up everybody just sitting around and like I remember at one point there was some song that was getting worked on and we were sitting around banging out around a guitar and we were trying to work out a bridge or something. And I said, "Well, what about this?" And it was just something that sounded like it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys in Memory Dean was a music school guy, you know, the bass player. And he goes, he kind of cocked his head and he goes, oh. And I was like, what? And he goes, well, he goes, what's interesting is that from a theory standpoint, that should not work. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. But it works. Yeah. And he said... Because I always used to lament my lack of training. Like, I almost created a, a handicap for myself because I felt like I didn't have training, so I was limited. Right. And he goes, and he knew it, and he was like, but that's one of the beautiful things, and not to suggest that if you should not get training. But if you don't, like, he goes, I would never think to do that because I have rules that are in my head that have been put into place that would not allow me to step outside of that box. Mm. And put that phrasing with that chord in this spot because the book says that doesn't make any fucking sense, but right. it sounds pretty damn good. Right. Which I, you know, I, I've come across that many times. It was being self-taught and and playing playing music in a way that's this sounds good to me versus what this is what I've been taught is the way to do it is two totally different ways of approaching music. And I have so many friends and so many. Uh, colleagues you know people i look up to that are theoretically trained and they've they've done everything they should have done or you know had the right training to be be the perfect musician and they're like amazed that i modulate in a way that that doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense or uh you know change a chord or a rhythmic structure 
in a place that by the book it shouldn't be possible, but by the ear it's like that's the most amazing thing that they've ever heard sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I know what you're saying. I've been there. But there's also times where, man, I wish I had some training or, or some, some theory study right now so I knew what I what my options were. Yeah, well, sure. Absolutely. So there's, it's a double-edged sword yep. to me. Um, there's a beauty in not having all those rules in your head. And then there's a moment where you, you, you wish you did know a little bit of that just to help you get through, a, through writing a song. It's kind of the great thing about art, though. I mean, you don't, if you really, and I believe this, and I know people's opinion vary, opinions vary, but, you know, art is. In the eye of the beholder. <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. Like you don't, there's not someone standing over there that says art, art, not art, not art. I mean, people try to do that all day. For every 99 people that say they hate what you're creating, there might be one that completely wholeheartedly loves it through and through. And if you reach that one person, then it feels pretty good. Screw the other 99 people. <laughs> I got 99 problems. <laughs> but that person ain't one. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> that's, that's my boy right there. He gets it. Yeah, that's what's funny about, too, I, you know, people all the time. Like, you know, the, the when you talk about sort of the relative impact of music, like, let's just... If I randomly pick U2, right? right? Biggest band in the universe, probably. Um, Definitely up the top. Uh, you know. They just put their records on your phones without asking you. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> They're like, oh, you don't have a choice. Uh, yeah. Our music's in your library now. <laughs> Enjoy. But they, you know, if they sell five or six million records, you know, or even 10 million, which is an astronomical number. Especially these days. There's like 7 billion people on the planet. Like, yeah. if you think about how many people really give a shit about you 2 in the grand scheme of things, this is actually when young artists come to me and, you know, are trying to make it. I'm like, you need to stop. Like, it, it's all about relative perception, right? Like, you know, because I think when you're starting out, you could probably speak to this because you have organically grown yourself to a point like just by grinding it out and playing mm -hmm. gigs to where you have a lot of people that are really interested and in, into what you do. But when, but it's very daunting when you're, it's like, where do I even start? Like, how do I make one? It's almost like, how do I make 10 fans is harder than like, how do I have 10,000 fans? Mm -hmm. And, but, but it's that idea of like, even the biggest band of the world in the world is only reaching such a fractional percentage of people that it helps to shrink that goal or that idea down to a to a much more manageable level. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you my, my thought process on that from where I've come from throughout my career is pay attention to who you can affect in, in your immediate surroundings. Don't try to win the people that are across the ocean try to try to make sense to the people that are in the room with you tonight and give them your best and show them your message and and if they have a question for you after the show give them some some eye contact and let them know you're listening to them and you know through that process over many years i think people have 
people have taken in that I'm not bullshitting them. You know, I'm not trying to bullshit anybody. I'm doing this because I love it. Yeah, I think first that's and really, foremost, I think that's very and it's thing. I think it's pretty transparent after a while that I'm not trying to bullshit anybody. I'm doing this because it's it's what's inside of me, and I have to do it to to survive uh, emotionally, mentally, whatever, physically, all of the, all of that. But but also give a piece of yourself to people when they need it, and and allow that that transaction of energy to happen with with another human being because the music that i write is uh it's not always your uh your your margaritavilles or you know like it's not necessarily the bright and sunny uh weekend at the beach you know like i, I write songs that are real and there's a lot of times where it hits a chord and people we, I mean, just this past weekend, we played a show and a lady came up to me and was like, that was one of the most painful songs I've ever heard in the most beautiful way. And that was her words to me. I was like, you got it. <laughs> you felt it because that's where I was coming from, a very painful spot in the most hopeful way of getting through it because we're all going through pain and shit and, and, and the mud and the and the the sludge and whatever, but we're also going through beautiful things. And, and so you cannot let the shit get you down because you know on the other side of it is the most beautiful interaction or a beautiful day or whatever. Beauty is coming your way as long as you keep your mind open to it. Uh, and I think that's always been my goal with writing songs is I will show you the dark, but I will end it with a hopeful message of the lights right there on the other side. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I, really awesome. But but I think too what you know, and I'm sure you know this is what's also true is for the musician is is that it's not a one way relationship. Like you get a lot out of it too, without a doubt. You know, there's catharsis that can come from it. Like Love without it. music, I don't know if I would. Without music and a shitload of therapy, I don't know if I would have made it through my dad's death. I mean, it was it was really hard. I feel you. And, and I mean, you know, but it, it's just that. But I think that's what makes, you know, again, like I, I talk about authenticity. Like I've had Wes Yoakam in on the podcast before, you know, Wes, he's another mm -hmm. local guy. And we've talked a lot about this idea of, um, I think that it's really apparent when someone's being honest. And, you know, a guy that's just sort of going through the motions, it's like, it will not allow you to get out like as an audience member or a listener to get out what you want, but they're not getting anything out of it either. And I think that breaks the connection. So like you almost need the artist to be just as invested. Without a doubt. If the artist is not invested, nobody's invested. I mean, I don't, again, I'm not trying to slag anybody and I, I've heard different, but you know, Holland, you know, we went to see Holland Oates and Tears for Fears and like Tears for Fears just, but I kind of felt like that was sort of the thing. Like I felt like Daryl Hall just kind of mailed it in. like Running it, through the motions. And I'm just like, dude, like you've got a million, like, you know what I mean? You've made songs. Yeah. That have it's hard to put yourself in those shoes. I don't, I can't even begin to put myself in his shoes and sing the same songs that everybody wants to hear for 30, 40 years. Right. Versus let me show you something new, even though I know you don't want to hear it because of his, how many hits do they have? And that's what the people want to hear. Thankfully, I or I don't know if thankfully, but I don't have that. I don't have that problem right now. Yeah, not you yet. know. We, I have songs that people want to hear, but they're very open to hearing my new songs still too. So I don't know. It'd be hard to hard to imagine what that's like. Yeah, I think though. There's also too like again, it's 
the music I've said before, the music business is one of the weirdest fucking things ever because talent's not a great indicator. Like in most jobs, if you're really talented and you work really hard in most careers, you will eventually find your way all the way to the top. There is lots of variables that are out of your control in the music world um, for one reason or another. But um, uh, it's just this idea that you can you can sort of do what you want and and there's probably two different sets of fans like if you ever reach some sort of large level of mainstream popularity like you have people that like it because it's popular and they may not be super invested but they dig it and then you have like the people that are like listening to the deep tracks that, or like this is my shit like i really feel connected like yeah. to this guy and i know every everything for right you know it's like me and i'm trying to think of bands for me like uh, tears for fears yeah tears <laughs> for fears um like pearl jam you know what i mean yeah. like i know every track on every record mm-hmm. um or you know or if you go in like zeppelin like i've listened to every zeppelin record all the way through multiple you know what i mean like those kinds of things but i think that's different than because I'm the same way. There are some bands I'm like, oh, this is cool, but I'm not super invested. And yeah. I might buy it, but I'm not, you know what I mean? I wouldn't freak out if they came into town. Yeah. Like when I saw that Tears was playing, like I, I got an alert, like an Amex early buy. Oh, yeah. I was at my work just like at 9.58, just like <laughs> refresh, refresh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, getting that, I'm getting that ticket. Um, Be up close. <laughs> yeah, we were. We were pretty damn close. <laughs> um Again, the advantage of being a little older and having the means to be able to spend that kind of money on the ticket right. is a beautiful thing. Um, but it's, I don't know, man. It's just like, they're so, the idea of a fan's kind of a weird concept anyway. Um, but it is the ultimate goal, not to have fans, I think, but um, to your point, to have something that resonates with people. Yeah, I mean... I'm such a huge fan of so many musicians that yeah. it's easy for me to understand when somebody really digs what I'm doing, you know, cause I get it. Uh, we just played a festival in the Outer Banks this past, or two weekends ago. And one of my biggest inspirations, one of my biggest- Please tell me this is the Glenn Phillips story. This is Glenn Phillips. Oh, I was yeah. gonna ask you about this. Uh, Glenn Phillips from Toad to Wet Sprocket. I was, my dad, I remember being a young kid maybe eight or nine years old and go into my grandparents that lived in Albany, Georgia. And it was about a three hour drive and we were in a Jeep Wrangler and he had his nice little speaker system in the back. And me and my sister was, were back there and I would put a pillow right on top of the speaker or just to the side of it to where my ear would sit on top of the speaker and Dulcinea towed the wet sprocket album. So good. I remember it like like it was yesterday uh, because I'd never heard music like that, so it stuck with me. And that was when I was eight years old. And this past weekend, I've met Glenn a couple times, very briefly. Uh, but this this was this this festival was a setting to where the music happens on the beach. I knew there was going to be a moment where I got to to really have a, a moment with him and 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 say hello and and handshake and be awkward in the hallway whatever uh <laughs> weird elevator moments uh yeah, yeah but uh i ended up being neighbors with him he stayed in the room right beside me and we had a, a lot of awkward hallway ba- hallway banter but great hallway banter not awkward just uh my 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 childhood hero is in the next room right beside me 
and I'm taking the stage right after he plays, and uh, and he heard me uh, singing harmonies to his song because I couldn't resist. I'm like, I know this shit. I love it. This is my jam. And uh, he heard me. Like, he heard me singing his song, the, the little echoing harmonies, and he immediately pinpointed me and said, "Get up here and sing it with me." So I got to get on stage and sing that song with my childhood hero, not even childhood hero, my, my this day hero. I think he's one of the best songwriters of our era. Amazing. Um, and so I, I guess my point is, you know, like there was a guy that came up to me at that same festival and, and stopped me on the beach and and gave me 10 minutes of serious eye contact and let me know what what our music, what the music that I'm writing with uh with my with with my partner Nikki Threlkill, um, what our music means to him, and he, he broke it down for me in a way like this song saved my life at a certain point, and I was able to kind of do that same thing. Like I get that fan fandom ship or whatever the right word is, you know, like whatever when you when you relate to something that moves you in such a spiritual way that you can't shake it it's just part of who you are and you get it and you don't really have words to explain it other than saying thank you for that song i've been there i've done that i still do it every day and to be able to 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 relate to that is is you know as a musician i think it's important to have that quality to never separate yourself from your fans because we're all fans of something and to know what the quality of 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 that of the meaning of that uh, statement from somebody to say how much they appreciate what you're doing is is the fuel that fires me to keep waking up every morning and keep doing it. Well, I know you won't, but don't ever lose that. I mean, no, because, it's not possible. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I might change. Don't get me wrong. The days bring new things, but I mean, music is. There's no way I'm going to quit playing music. No, no, I mean just about that whole idea of you know. Of, of giving someone a moment that you've really impacted. I mean, that, that's probably my most, you know, and I'm, I'm really, I guess, fortunate with what I've done and what my wife does for a living that I find myself in circumstances where I will occasionally more than the average person, maybe get to meet someone that's been really impactful to me. Mm-hmm. You're the same way. Like because of what you do, you will come across people that are, we, we attract what we, what we desire without know, a doubt that are, or have been, or still are important to you. Mm-hmm. And the most disappointing thing on the planet earth to me is when I meet one of those people and it's disappointing because they don't seem to care that it matters to me. Uh, I'm sure. If, I mean, I get that, yeah, without a doubt. So this will tell you a story, and this is what I say to always remember this. is This is one of my favorite stories. Um, so I still love the Indigo Girls. That was what made me want to play acoustic guitar. That's the reason I went. You know, someone went and got me, a, you know, because, like, my first musical awakening happened. I used to listen to, like, pop radio, and then you were you're a little a bit younger than I am, but when I was 15 years old is when the Seattle thing happened and, like, mm-hmm. Pro Jam Nirvana at Soundgarden. Alice in Chains, Mud Honey, all that, Smashing Pumpkins. Um, and I got into all that. And it was the first time that I found my own music. You know, I wasn't just listening to what the radio said, listen to. And th- this speaks to me. Yeah, that's when I started to develop myself, like a musical identity of my own. And I did that rock thing or whatever. And then again, I just listened. But then 
I heard something, and the thing about the Indigo Girls that I think is unbelievable, and there's a lot of people I put in this category, but they just have their mastery of language is just the way they physically construct lyrics to me is unbelievable because they have an incredible vocabulary. They have an incredible grasp of culture and literature and referential things, you know, Mm -hmm. that you can draw on. They've been been reading some books. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, and that's, what's amazing to hear about it. Like I think about like in, um, like in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody where he mentions Bismillah, which is a, you know, like a really famous mime, you know, and it's like, that's important in the context and you can get by because the melody is so good. But like, if you understand who that is, it just takes the song to a whole nother level. I mean, think about all the Robert Plant lyrics referencing Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Vikings and shit. You know, (laughs) nobody knew what the hell he was talking about until they made the movies. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you talking about, you talking about Gollum? Yeah. I I get it now. (laughs) So anyway, and, and I'm probably for me, like I probably, tend to gravitate towards lyricists the most like if things are going to really hit with me it's lyrics like i really Mm -hmm. i mean i love melody and i love good constructed and that's different for everybody it is totally is but just for me and that's why i think the indigo girls really kind of set because i'm like holy the words got you if you could read it like it was poetry right it would read like poetry like some stuff you see now you know and again i don't i'm I've turned into the you get off my lawn guy where I slag a lot of new Sh- stuff. Should we print out some Nickelback lyrics and just read them? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or just, you know, like if you read it out, it would just be like, yeah, 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 money. And like it might be fine like melodically or whatever, but like there's not a lot of substance there. Yeah, let's not even go down this path. Um, but I know you probably can. I can't. I can say what the fuck I want. But um, so... Um, that really got me right. So I really got into them and I started going backwards and listening to all this or whatever. And I never, I got an opportunity to meet them one time and this was transformative for me because that's when I grabbed an acoustic guitar and that became my, so to your point, learn what you like, like the first like five songs I learned and a go girl songs. Right. Um, when I started playing guitar. So I met them once at a festival. It was completely random and it was, you know, again, back when we were touring and stuff and it was a like, Hey, how's it going? passing in the hallway awkward hallway moment Mm -hmm. but i didn't really have feel like it was the right time for me to say anything so we just said hello and moved on so when holly was at dave fm doing the morning show um she said you're not gonna believe this so this was in the last 10 years it was probably eight years ago she said emily saliers is coming in to do mara's show she's taking over her show for lunch and she goes do you want to come up here to the (laughs) station and i'm like fuck yeah i want to come up there (laughs) I'm making a sandwich. I'm sorry. I can't be there. Yeah. So I came up there and she told Mara and I'm like, I'm just going to, I just want to say hello. I'm just going to sit over there and just mind my business, whatever. And let me be in the room. Take it in. So Emily stops and goes, Hey, whatever. And you know, in the radio, people don't understand a lot of that stuff is computer. You know what I mean? So like when the songs start playing, we were on like a three song run where, you know, you've got whatever that is, 10, 12 minutes where nothing's happening. You're just sitting in there. And I finally, I'm finally old enough at that point, I'm 30 something to say, Emily, listen, we've got a minute. I just would hate myself if I didn't tell you, you know, I feel like I need to tell you this. She goes, okay. And so I just said, (laughs) and I went down to the story. I was just like, you know, I was in college and, you know, I got into your music and it's what made me, you know, want to start learning to play guitar. And that was the domino that led me to 
touring with a band and making the friends that I've made that I care more about, you know, you and Wiltsy and Wes and right. these people that mean the world to me. And I have this great shared experience with of going out there and, you know, making noise for people. And because of your music and, and I've, my wife, I don't meet my wife. Steve Barnes at 99X, who I met through all those years, memory Dean years, is the one that introduced me to my wife. So as I'm telling this story, Mara, and I don't think Mara was doing this on purpose, but I was fangirling, you know what I mean? I was totally mm-hmm. into that moment. And Mara goes, Sean, can just, okay, we get it, or whatever. And then I sort of immediately felt bad, like for an instant, because I was like, oh no, like I've done that thing where I've turned into, you know, and Emily looks at Mara and says, Mara, hang on. This is important. And she turned and like locked right back in on me. And she just completely, and she goes, finish telling me what you're telling me. And it was like, she knew I needed to, to say it, to say it. And you know, she didn't need to do that. I mean, but just her recognition of the importance for me. And it's just, I mean, it's made me even more of a fan. Oh yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I think it's important I mean, leading up to this festival, I knew Glenn was going to be there. And I knew that moment was going to present itself to where I can either I can either break down and cry and tell him how much <laughs> I've, you know, uh, uh, wetted my pillows to his music or whatever. But, uh, you know, I think it's important to share how much somebody's art has influenced you if you have the opportunity to do so. No matter the 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 fandom or the the little you know the the front row screaming fan you know uh, whatever d- do it tell people what it means to you whether you make an ass out of yourself or not if they receive it great if they don't receive it shit at least you said what you felt you had to say and and you and don't hold anything back you know and and be true to yourself because if that's bubbling inside of you and you have the opportunity to share it with somebody that changed your life that led you to the woman you married, that led you to the friends that are part of your circle. Oh my God, why, why wouldn't that person want to hear that? Why, you know, if they don't want to hear it, then you might not like their music anymore. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. So I'm going to, so in, I'll post in the comments because there is actually a video of this Glenn Phillips interaction. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it, it's funny because, I was I was nervous as shit, not to lie about it. Uh, and it's a, it's a harmony to where it's an echoing harmony that I got up to sing with him, and I was sure about about seventy five to eighty <laughs> percent of the of the words, but there's a couple lines where I, I wasn't so solid on them. But I didn't care. I knew I knew I was going to get up there, and I, this is my moment. I'm singing with with Glenn Phillips with Toad's Wet Sprocket, and uh, I'm going to make it work. Whatever, whatever it takes, and those lyrics—the lyrics to the harmonies aren't posted. I even went back. I was like, "What are those words? They're not posted anywhere." It's just a, an echoing harmony that you either know what he's saying or you don't. And I, I challenge anybody to go figure out what he's actually saying. Yeah. So the song is called "Something's Always Wrong." Yeah, and it's, it's an great, unbelievable song. I cover the song, and I know I know all the, the the main words, but there's an echoing harmony in the chorus. And a lot of it repeats what he says, but I know there's a couple lines in there that says something different. And 
There's absolutely, I cannot make it out. I've listened to it a thousand times. I think the only one, the line that's actually different is whenever it's always said and it's won't be long. Yeah. Right. Won't always said, won't be long. Yeah. Something's always wrong. Well, it's the, uh, uh, oh, again, seems we meet in the spaces in between. It's the in between. Between yeah. us. There's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's something that's different than, than yeah. just the echoing. And that was the part that's where right. I'm like, I'm going to sing what I think's right. But <laughs> I could tell by the way he looked at me, it was like, you kind of got it. <laughs> <laughs> so what did I noticed too? He leaned over too because at one point when you got to there's a um, there's like that. Hey, 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 oh yeah, that that was my. Did inab- he go say he was gonna take the high? He said, "Let me take, take the high," because okay. that was my inability to find the harmony in in my fan moment. Uh, oh, you'll nut up. There have been times when I'm like, I can totally sing this in my car, but like I have nutted up. Well, so I'm so used. <laughs> I'm so used to singing the main harm or the main vocal yeah, because yeah. I've covered that song for so many years. Yeah. So in that situation, it was like, oh yeah, Glenn's singing it, and I'm supposed <laughs> to put the harmony on it. And he immediately knew that it was a little bit of a, an uncomfortable space for me on the spot, especially in that moment. He could, but then it sounds, he could feel it. And you could tell because it sounds fantastic. Because when he goes as to the high. As soon as he looked at me after one time, he's like, I got the high. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know what's crazy, though, is uh, in, in that moment, listening back to it, because I watched the video that somebody shared with me, my voice sounds like his voice singing the main part. Yeah. And I think that's in complete, uh, you know, paying respect to this man has taught me a lot. And I know how to sing his songs. And I wasn't trying to sound like him, but my voice just naturally resonates in a tone that's very similar to his because I love his music so much. And when that moment happened and I listened back, it's like, it still sounds like him singing with himself. <laughs> well, that's why I asked you if but he it was, said he would take the high because I couldn't tell. Right. It was him. He took the high and I took over the main part and it still sounded like he was singing the song. I was like, okay, well, at least I did I did that pretty good. <laughs> and it was great because at the end of it, he goes, yeah. Yeah, right. He, like, gave it, he gave it a big yeah. The best part about it, though, is, it, you know, again, and to me, like, this is what's, I don't know, man, it's just what's beautiful about music. Um. The first pass through the chorus, you can hear you in the crowd singing the singing the and other then, the the tiered you know lyrics or whatever right. like the second tier of a, whatever the, the between lyrics a little echoing harmonies I can hear it right like I can hear you and you singing, see his eyes and I see him kind of cut over and he grins you know and and I think he said you might as well just come up and get on the mic he's like get up here take take the next chorus on the microphone I was like. I ain't passing this up. So, so you guys, so you had actually, so you had passed one another before that. Earlier in the day, that that same day, we uh, there was a barbecue on the beach, and and Nikki and I were making our way back to our room, and this he had just gotten there that day, and a little I had no idea that he was staying in the room right beside us, but we were walking through the hallway with a big plate of pork and coleslaw, <laughs> and he comes out of his room as we're coming up to our room and. The only thing Nikki and I could think to say was room service. (laughs) (laughs) And he looks at us and he says, ah, you brought me pork. (laughs) And that was, uh, you know, that was the little, the breaking of the ice, our first interaction. And we, and we stood there in the hallway and, you know, I didn't, I didn't choose that moment to be like, Oh God, I love your music. It was more about good to see you. Glad you're here. 
uh, can't wait to hear you play. And it was a very short, brief hallway banter moment. And a few jokes were shared. And uh, and then later that night, uh, you know, was standing there in the front row, like number one fan, singing along to his songs. And luckily I was asked to come get on stage and sing with him, you know? It's a it's a it's a moment I won't forget. That's a that's a that's one of them good scars that are gonna stick oh, in there. Oh yeah. Here's what's great too, which you don't know in advance, right? And you're always doing, but I have had the pleasure of meeting him a few times. And uh we actually went to see them at uh Chastain with uh Counting Crows a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh we ended up getting backstage and it doesn't hurt that he is the nicest human oh, being. He's so sweet. <laughs> like and he's he such a so nerd nice. too. Like, I know he's, he's so... such a nerd, which I'm I'm a nerd. I'm but I can relate. Uh it, it, <laughs> I mean he wanted to tell me what was happening with NASA this week, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, yes, tell me. What did what did we discover on Mars? <laughs> yeah, and it's fun like too that when you sort of can break that ice because I remember when we met him backstage, we um we actually had played a gig with them at a festival in South Carolina a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, yeah, man, I actually played a gig with you way back when. And um, it, you know, all that stuff's always like, oh, right. And you kind of get that like, like room service, like just something that can kind of be like, okay, we found some kind of ground, right? Like we've landed on some kind of ground where we can sort of communicate. I mean, when at the end of the day, we're all just humans and He's just another guy moving through this space like we are. And the more you can treat it that way versus like, I'm putting you on this pedestal, I think it makes people feel a little more comfortable. And uh, that's what I mean. That's all I try to do. I don't want to, I don't want to sh- try to freak you out because of how much I love your music, but I'm going to tell you how much I love your music in a way that makes you feel still, still the same that you felt before this conversation started. Like not, I'm not trying to freak you out with my love for your music, but understand that I love your music. <laughs> well, but to your point, right? That's got to be hopefully one of the reasons why they, right? Like to impact people, that's got to be I mean, one what, of the reasons why they do it. Why? Why do any of us do anything creative? I think for me, it's uh, it's what I need to do. Like I think we mentioned earlier, it's a survival thing. If I don't sing a song that needs to come out of me, it turns into something I'm holding in and it turns into a negative poison because I'm not able to express myself. So music has always been a way of expressing myself through a song that I wasn't maybe able to put into words in a conversation when I needed to say something to somebody. And, you know, maybe that's my easy way out. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't. I wasn't able to tell you, but I, I'm gonna write a song and sing it, and and there's gonna be people singing it back to you, and now you get to hear what I should have said to you in that moment. But whatever, it's uh, that's the beauty of music. Maybe it brings us all together in ways that I can relate to that moment. I can I can be right there where you were, or I am right where you were. That's one of the huge reasons why i'm do i've done this this thing um i I feel like uh again this is something that came from the whole kevin smith thing i think he actually made this comment in the show he goes in a thousand years and we've destroyed ourselves and everyone's gone aliens land on the planet and they dig up some old server somewhere you know and they crack it open 
and they find like a Facebook page or whatever, they're just going to find like 400 selfies. You know, it's like, it's like, who were these vapid assholes? All they do is take pictures of themselves in front of shit, you know, like my landmarks. My, and not that I'm saying you couldn't, but the point he was making is, is that conversation and human interaction is the true, is the true sculpt sculpture of, of your being, right? Like this experience we're sharing right now, we've done this a hundred times before mm-hmm. in the back of a club or in somebody's back deck or whatever. Right. But, um, that's to me, like I've defined myself by that, like the relationships and the conversations I've had with people. And his point was, and I get it. It's easier, right. To, to take a picture and capture that moment that way. But conversations are so critical and human interaction is so critical and we never capture it like we do pictures. And my reason for doing this is to capture these kind of moments because I think they're really fucking important. (laughs) I agree. I mean, I think they're really important. I think if people think about it long enough, the things that are really deep, I mean, if you, I I really think if you ask somebody, what are the most deep and meaningful moments you've had in your life? 80% 80% of them are going to be, well, I was with someone. A personal and we, interaction. And we talked about this. Or, you know, I experienced it. I remember when text messages became a thing, and I had a hard time with it. Yeah. I did. It was like, there's no tone involved. There's no, like, I, I, I can't hear your voice saying what you're saying, so I don't really understand how you're saying it. And it, it bothered me for a long time. I mean, obviously, I figured that out because it's the way the world has <laughs> moved, and we're going to text. But it bothered me for a long time, and it still bothers me a little bit, because there's so many things get misconstrued through perceiving things the way your brain wants to hear a text message versus how that person was writing you a text message. Mm -hmm. Because there's no tone involved. There's no emotion. There's no exclamation. The exclamation point could have been excited or really pissed off. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, or like, know. what does the tears emoji mean? Like, are you sad? Is that I'm laughing so hard I'm crying? Like, there's just so much room for ambiguity. But it's the way the world's going, and we all have to evolve with it. There's no slowing it down or stopping it. Uh, it moves the way it wants to move, and that's the way it wants to move. No, I agree. But to you, I mean, again, I start feeling like uh, my grandfather. I used to walk to school through snow <laughs> uphill both ways. You know, like the world will change, and there and there's there's ways you can you can choose to to not change with it and ways you you have to change with it or else it'll it'll eat you up or just embrace the new without abandoning the old like i can still text with my wife when i you know she's just like what do you need from the grocery store you know coffee yeah coffee <laughs> milk bread wine yeah <laughs> wine uh you know potato chips that's my fucking uh, yeah, that's my favorite potato chip. What weakness. is it? Oh, it rotates. I can't eat plain chips. They have to be some kind. Yeah, of got flavor. some kind of flavor. Um, right now my jam is either and again going back to the classic. Don't put too much thought into nacho it. nacho cheese Doritos. Classic or definitely not Cool Ranch. No, you're no, either, I, you're either a nacho Dorito or a Cool <laughs> Ranch guy, and I'm I'm going nacho cheese. Nacho. Yeah, nacho cheese Doritos. 
or it says a lot about a person. Are you nacho cheese or cool ranch? <laughs> that should be the new thing. Whenever I meet someone new, just ask that question. And nacho decide. cheese, cool ranch. <laughs> what are you? Um, and I also really like um, sour cream and onion mm. ruffles. Or I mean, it's a good uh, choice. Yeah, or cheddar and sour cream too. I'm a barbecue kind of guy. You like barbecue? I like a good barbecue. I think potato it chip. depends on which one it is because they can fuck those up. Are yeah, you, like, without you, a doubt, do the like, mesquite like the, flavoring. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's either it's either kettle cooked or it's. I mean, you know, there's many many different avenues you can go down with a potato chip. Yeah, but that's my snack food of choice. You have a snack food of choice. I'm. I'm I mean, I'm more of a tortilla chip. I'm. I'm more of a salsa and chips kind of guy. You if like the I, white cheddar. The queso? Oh, hell yeah. Who oh, doesn't? Kid, man, kid, me. I drink that. You shit. don't like queso, then don't talk to me. <laughs> I don't care if you like my music or not. Get the you... fuck out of here. <laughs> Goddamn alien. How can you not like white melted cheese? <laughs> I thought I knew you. Uh, <laughs> who are you? Um, you're not, you don't have, um, are you, uh, are you, uh, like, do you do, you eat meat and all that? Like, you have any weird dietary oh, yeah. stuff? No, no, no. I, I eat it all. Only thing, and anybody that knows me knows that um, I'm, and I hate putting this information out there because I know somebody's going to play a horrible prank on me one day. <laughs> but whatever. Only like eight people are going to listen to this. So <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it too much. Well, <laughs> mom, if you're listening, uh, she already knows. Horseradish is is my is my fucking uh my what what's kryptonite? Superman? Yeah, my kryptonite. That's that's it. Dude, that shit is awful. You don't like it? I hate it. Thank God nobody ever agrees with me. I hate it. Everybody I, loves it. Everybody loves it. That sensation that it creates inside of your 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 nasal cavities. People love it, man. They love it and it sends me through the roof. Same thing with wasabi. It's it's horseradish and wasabi. Yeah, no. It's in there. Whatever that is, not interesting. Can't do it. Don't want it. Keep it out of my bloody mary. Uh don't put it on my sushi, whatever. I don't I don't want any of that. I have a Jewish wife. The horseradish. Mm. It's like at everything. It's Passover and I'm just like Man, give give give, give, give me some. Give me some right here. Anti-horseradish team. I hate it, dude. It's so nasty. God, I hate it, too. And if it wasn't spicy, because I'm not really a huge fan of very spicy things. I'm anyway. okay with spicy. But it tastes awful. It's a different thing than like a spicy salsa. It's more of a, it's an, it's an invasion of, of a part of my body that I'm not okay with. <laughs> so you know what I, you know, for me, what is that? Mustard. Yeah. I'm not a huge mustard fan. I've I've become more tolerant with mustard over the years. To me, mustard tastes like old gym socks. Cubans stuff. made me be okay with mustard. Yeah, well, if you see, I get Cuban sandwiches. I don't put mustard on my hot dog. No, but on a Cuban, it kind of made sense, like with the pickles and the pork and whatever. So I, I've become more tolerant with mustard, and and most things in life, I'm tolerant of. Horseradish is not one of those things. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I don't. I hate it. And yeah, and mustard to me tastes like old gym socks. I ain't trying now. to tell nobody that can't like horseradish. Just don't give it to me. Yeah. And if you do give it to me, be prepared for me to turn into a cartoon character that's spinning <laughs> around like the Tasmanian devil. My eyes popping out of my head, steam coming out of my ears. I'm about to punch something. You know, cause that's the truth. 
So you want to play that joke? Bring it on, but be prepared for the consequence. Oh my god, that is so great! <laughs> you got to go to snack food. Snack food? Yeah. Like if you're just around the house and you're like, I'm hungry, but I don't want to make. Something. I mean, these days I, I try to go to fruit. Like we keep berries in the in the refrigerator, like blueberries, strawberries. Healthy motherfucker. Yeah, I try to do that, man. I do. I, Meanwhile, I'm eating Swiss cake rolls and shit. <laughs> oh god, I remember I had those days. I keep them in the freezer, keep them cold. We don't keep little Debbies around here, but we keep I'm, chips. I'm more of like a nuts and berries kind of guy uh-huh. as a snack food. Like, it's fair. I grew up in the South, so I love pecans. I'll die before you will. Peca- whatever. <laughs> don't say that. There ain't no telling. But it's uh, there is something about a pecan. Man, I love a good pecan. I love a good blueberry or strawberry. I love pe- peaches. I don't know fruits and fruits and nuts and berries. Whatever. That's my snack food of choice. But when I'm on the road, believe me, I'm eating bean burritos and uh, <laughs> Subway, whatever. Dude, I tell people all the time, this is very insensitive. But like when rock stars die, I'm like, it's probably because of the dog shit they eat on the road. Like it, it, the it's road hard, diet man. is so you, bad. Because you can't, you can try your hardest to pack salads in a cooler and the ice melts and get water all in your, your food. You, it's, you just can't. <laughs> You can't really carry food with you more than a day, if if it has to be refrigerated or, or, you know, which most things do. It's just too. It just it just it's hard. So you have to end up eating a late night cheeseburger or whatever you can eat just to survive. And, it, and well, nothing's open. It's when one you of get the biggest work. most. It's one of the biggest challenges being on the road is is diet. So I, I like to keep a bag of trail mix in the in the van to snack on. Something that's not so uh, immediate. Uh, this is the end of your digestive system uh, happening right in front of you. Uh, Nothing. But you have to. You have to cave every now and then. You have to, or else you're going to starve. Well, your hours are so weird that that's what makes it. Your you're, you're trying weird. to find a hotel at three a.m. in the morning and you're starving. And okay. I'll I'll take the Denny's Grand Slam breakfast. You know what I mean? I'll oh, do it. Don't you, dude. Waffle House, Denny, any of that? Like that's, I still love that. Oh, I ate Waffle House today. Yeah, dog. I ate it today. My 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 niece and nephew came over with my sister to the house, and they immediately said, "I want a waffle. Let's go to Waffle House." And I was like, "Done." You still Uncle G? Uncle G. Well, I mean, it, that was like people have had a hard time saying my name from the get go. <laughs> so I knew with the kids, it's like let's just go ahead and shorten it to a letter. <laughs> I have another not to n- another name drop moment. I feel like I name drop a lot, but um, again, like experiences. We were we played in New Orleans once at uh, like the Howlin' Wolf, I think. I've played there, and uh, it's a great room. And uh, we were driving to go to Jackson, Mississippi, the next day mm-hmm. to play a show in Jackson. And going uh, back to Jackson, yeah. You better comb your hair. <laughs> um. So we're just outside of New Orleans. And for those of you that don't know, when you're driving from New Orleans to Jackson, if you're ever there, because I've actually run out of gas on these things because I didn't know this. This was my first, this was the second time there. If you need to stop, stop for anything. Gas, bathroom, do it before you get out of New Orleans proper because there's seriously a hundred miles of elevated bridge over swamp or bayou. Mm -hmm. And on Natchez Trail, and there's a lot of 12, 13 mile stretches where there ain't. You're literally on a you're on a bridge over a swamp. So like, there's no stopping. 
Mm-hmm. We I ran a, I ran the van out of gas one time on that and had to stop at an emergency phone and a cop had to come pick me up, drive me eight miles to the next stop, drive eighteen miles back down the opposite side, loop back around and drive the ten miles back up to get to get back. a can of gas for the for the van. Mm-hmm. The band didn't talk to me for a week. <laughs> they were so fucking mad. You were shunned four in the morning. But anyways, so we stopped right before we get out of New Orleans. We had played a gig. We walk into, it was a truck stop, like a proper truck stop. And that's the other thing, too, for people out there. You may think those are shady, but if you ever need anything and want to get a decent bite to eat, you can't go wrong with a truck stop. I mean, you're going to find something you're okay with. So we walk into the truck stop, and it's just provision time, right? I'm buying cans of dip, uh, Gatorades. You know, we're just stocking up up on what all we need for the trip. And... I'm walking around in the back of the thing, and of course, I wandered over to like the thing that has like the taquitos like rolling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just not, there's no. Pr- what do I want? The chicken or the beef? <laughs> at that point, you've just, you've checked your pride. Yeah, yeah. It's like, because I'm eating, not- I'm eating something that's rolling around right here. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm taking something off of this rack. So, talking about this sort of shared camaraderie of musicians, regardless of your station in life. I'm over there with those tongs that are hanging, and I'm literally trying to find the least nasty looking taquito uh, <laughs> on the thing. And there's probably eight or nine of them rolling. And I'm looking or whatever, and I sort of feel, you know, when someone walks up next to you, um, like you better pick. And um, and there was another set of tongs, and he, and I see the tongs like also, and then I'm like, oh shit, what if I pick one and that's the same one he wants? And I look to my left, and it's the drummer from Green Day. What? <laughs> And we had this moment where I looked up and how we were dressed and stuff. And I think they saw it. And like, we immediately knew that we were both, even though green day had just played at the fucking Mercedes Benz stadium or whatever it was that night. Mm-hmm. He just looked at me and he, he looks at me and I look at him and we both look at taquitos and we both just shook our head. And then we grabbed one and, um, we just left. I never actually had a word with him. And there, when I got outside, their bus was parked next to our van and trailer. And they had this bus. And they all three of them were in there. And I'm just like, shit, man, it doesn't change. Like, this is just the deal. Doesn't matter what level you reach, you're going to end up in a gas station trying to choose the perfect taquito for yourself. <laughs> you're just in there at 3 a.m. Which one doesn't look the worst? Looking for the least nasty taquito. So that was my shared experience with the Green Day drummer. Oh, yeah. And it was like the most surreal experience ever. <laughs> we shall not speak a word. We literally didn't say anything to each other <laughs> at all. I think his name so, Trey. You looking at that one? <laughs> and then we got back to the van, and I've got like a bag that is literally almost about to break from the grease that has leaked through or whatever. <laughs> and one of the guys in the band goes, hey, I just met the guy from Green Day. And I was like, me too. <laughs> we shared no words, but we uh, we connected on a spiritual level. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um were you welcome back into the band at that point though it's like they weren't talking to you for days but then you no just... no that was actually months like this was another new orleans trip oh, okay so i had lived off the uh i had lived off the uh right i was the one generally that would volunteer that would drive like you know when like not get hammered so we could drive yeah, the dd 
So I could, you know, it's like when we were in Rock Island, Illinois, finishing a gig at two in the morning, and we had a radio interview at seven o'clock in Fargo, North Dakota. You're the one that was going to get the band there. And we had 350 miles to go and whatever. Y'all sleep in the back. I'll get us there. um, So I I actually had built up a fair amount of capital at that point um, to where I was able to live that down fairly quickly. But (laughs) I just don't, I mean, it's like some of the things... Well, a little side note about Louisiana gas stations is they're the only state that actually sells liquor in the gas stations. Uh, yeah, also... Um, they maybe, have, maybe not the only one, but the only one that I remember. They also have liquor drive-thrus. Yeah, you can you can straight up buy a bottle of whiskey in a, in a gas station in Louisiana. You can also buy a mixed drink at a drive-thru. I'm not talking about like a drive-thru like in Kentucky where you can drive through and get a bottle of liquor. They will hand you like a Long Island in a styrofoam cup. <laughs> Take it. Don't drink it till you get it home, but we're not going to say anything. Are they like, you got other people in the car? Okay, that's cool. Somebody else is going to take that, I'm sure. There's so many. Like, that's, that's the other thing, too. I tell people, honestly, like it's not that fun at the time, but road stories are like the greatest thing. Here's what I want you to do more. <laughs> this is what I need you to do more for okay. me. I need you to do something for me. You went through a stretch... And it had to have been about five or six years ago when you guys were touring. And I give you mad credit because you are a plan. You play. Like, you get out and play. You tour. You and your buddies would just shoot video and edit. And it's some of the funniest <laughs> shit. I remember when you guys were in Philly and you were had your acoustic guitar. <laughs> and you were playing Eye of the Tiger. And you were running around places in Philly. And, like, running across the screen. The Rocky statues. And it just like, I'm not kidding, dude. I think you could have probably have a TV show. You need to uh, do more of that, man. You need man, to shoot more so video. I've got so many ideas. I have a great idea for a TV show, and I'm I'm a little little uh, timid to uh, put it out upon the waves. But <laughs> why not? Who cares? I have a great idea for a reality show: is to go out on tour in 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 the most dressed up vw old van like paint paint it like it's a grateful dead like the old tribute band or, like or whatever 70s weed band. marijuana leaves painted all over the side of it so you're begging to get pulled over put a fucking a needle popping out of the hood whatever <laughs> and just make it look like the ultimate musician's vehicle but travel completely clean <laughs> <laughs> no booze. How many times you can get stopped? No drugs, nothing, and have a camera crew follow you around on tour <laughs> and see and and see how many times you get stopped, and then and then take it to the next level when the when you actually do get pulled over. Have have like uh, some Led Zeppelin like blaring <laughs> through the speakers. Like, hold on, officer, I, this is my favorite part of the song, and have like a rolled up cigarette that looks like a joint, but it's only tobacco. But you look like you're smoking a joint. Like, excuse me, sir. This is my favorite part of the song. Hold, wait, wait for this. License and registration can wait. You tried to go to jail. Yeah, right. Like, just do that every day and see how many times you get locked up for the wrong thing. I'm not breaking the law at all. I'm driving 55 miles per hour. I have some nice art on my vehicle and. <laughs> but you don't like me for some reason, do you? Dude, you say that until they trump up some charge. Oh, I'd get beat probably. <laughs> but I would never be wrong. You know what I mean? That's the beauty of it. 
<laughs> How many people would watch that show? A lot. That's taking performance art to a, like a whole another. Well, level. it's taking um, judgment of character to a different level. It would be, because I get yeah. I get, and this comes from a place of truth. I get profiled so many times on the road. Of course, you driving do. a big white van with a bandana wrapped around my head, or uh, you know, looking looking like I look. I, also, look like, I look like a like a guy from the seventies that's enjoying his life. Whatever. The beard game is fucking strong, right? You know now. what? I hibernated for a few months <laughs> and uh, took a shower, shook my head, and this is what happened. That thing is uh, that thing is pretty righteous. Yeah. yeah, you're all tatted up. You got the you know. Yeah, and that's not for a reason to want to be. These are all stories of my life. Me too. Every single tattoo I have is a very important bookmark of my life. That's a memory. It's not a, a want to, to look like a certain way. No, me too. This is about my dad. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so if people aren't down with that, then fuck you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Find some meaning in your life. Uh, I, I do. That's another thing, you know, too. I told people, a lot of people like when I got this, because I have a, you guys can't see it, but I have a like a half sleeve basically. And, uh, it's interesting because I came from like you, a place where it was pretty conservative and it was, um, you know, people did more traditional things and you know, they're not, they wouldn't look like you do now or like maybe I do or did when I'm playing a gig or whatever. And, uh, I just tell people, it's like, you just don't like tattoos because you have commitment issues. (laughs) Right. Because I am totally fine with it. Because that's what I tell you all the time. If the reason you get a tattoo, if you're drunk at Spring Bake and get a frog like on your bikini line, you're probably going to regret that. Right. If I go get a huge grizzly bear on my arm because my dad was the bear and he died and he's the most important male that's ever was in my life, I'll never not. I'll never, I'm going to look at that every day and be very proud of my decision. I'll never be regret that I got that done. That's, you know, there's a... There's a break in the eras of of thought process of what tattoos are for a certain age group, and our grandparents don't have any tattoos unless they were in the military. Unless, for whatever reason, or in jail. <laughs> most of most most of that era didn't do tattoos, and then tattoos became very popular during our era. And now there's the the the, uh, the millennials, if you want to call them that, or you know the the, the child the children of today. Whether they're not, they'll embrace tattoos the way we did or not. Who knows? But for me, tattoos have always been a, a very expressive way of sharing with the world the stories that mean something to you. And not only with the world, but with yourself. And reminding, every time I shower and look in the mirror, I'm reminded of the most beautiful love story I've ever known right here on my arm. So th- that's a there's a wolf, if you guys can't see it. Yeah. Um, and then, that's is that an Indian symbol this is or native american symbol. this is um my stepfather i apologize for no, saying, no, no. saying indian it's native american <laughs> <laughs> can you explain that no. <laughs> the tattoo is um i'll tell the story uh the tattoo on my right arm is a is a is a picture of a wolf howling up at an eagle that is rising into into the clouds of night uh, and my stepfather passed away back in 2010. And the last thing my mother said to him was, go find your star in the sky and I'll come out into the yard and look for you every night. I remember being right by his deathbed and hearing her say, whisper that into his ears. 
and they were very big into um, native culture and the southwestern arts and and they went under hypnosis before before this time and discovered what their spirit animal is a lot of people joke about that but it's a true thing everybody sure. does have a spirit animal a, a creature that speaks to them more than any other creature on the earth and my father my stepfather which was just as much a father to me as my real father uh, equally uh his was the eagle and my mother is the wolf and so this wolf howling up at that eagle is saying, hey, go find your star up in the sky and I'll come out and look for you every night. And I will never regret putting that on my skin and being able to remember that moment. Nor should you. It's beautiful. It's a piece of art. It's just on your skin. Yeah. I and mean, that's what I tell people all the time. Like, the guy that did mine, like, this is ridiculous. I mean, it's not like I got it done in a back alley. Like, these guys that do these things are, mm-hmm. you know, and... uh that's amazing, man. That's a great story. I mean, it's not. It's a tragic story, but it's beautiful. Well, we all got to go. But to be loved when you do leave is, I think, something we all wish for. Of course, Yeah, of course. To know that somebody's going to miss you here and they're going to look for you in the next possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's awesome. So what it is, is every time we podcast, you'll have to give me the story for a different... We'll just stop at that yeah, one. That's the only one you get for this one. Then the next time, we'll talk <laughs> about... We'll break another one down. Um, so this is, a, this is a little more serious, but I'm interested in your take, because I know that you're very socially aware, and you're a very thoughtful guy. You know, I think that you think about the world. Um, Definitely. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff... And it's not new. This has been happening forever. But this idea that, and granted, it's people that are generally famous, but when an artist of some kind, whether it be an actor or a musician or whatever, makes a statement about their own personal beliefs, normally relative to politics, you get this sort of resonating howl from the side that doesn't necessarily believe what that person believes that they should just, you know, shut up and play songs or, you know, that they don't, they shouldn't be talking about that. I'd just be curious as to, again, someone that, you know, because you don't shy away, I think from, from themes in your music. I mean, you did the song with nappy roots. That's, mm-hmm. you know, a, a very much about a social circumstance. That's pretty prevalent these days. <laughs> But I mean, I just, I mean, how do you feel when you hear people about those things when people say, just, I want you to entertain me. I don't want you to talk to me politically. I've always been, I try to choose my battles wisely when it comes to that. I think the, you know, and the biggest thing that I try to focus on is I really can't change what's happening in the entire world, but I can change what's happening in the immediate world around me. And how I affect the people that are in the room with me, and and I'm not here to bash anybody's views on what they believe, but I'm definitely here to share with you what I believe, and you can take that for what you will, um, and not to feel fear in that. You know, I don't have no fear with saying we can we can all do better because everybody knows that. Whether you believe it or not, it's in your gut. We, we all know we can do better because there's so many things that are wrong. You see them every day, and they hurt us, and especially with 
social media today and video cameras everywhere, we see so many things that are that are painful and that are that are hurtful and we know need to be corrected and we don't know how to. But it's that that overwhelming feeling of how how do I help the situation that can really make you not do anything because you don't know what to do. And so the way that I tend to that for my own self-feeding is not to focus so much on the big picture, but focus on the small picture of the people that are around me in the immediate moment and how can I affect the situation positively that will resonate across the world like a ripple, like the butterfly effect, like a wave that once it starts, it goes somewhere and it helps somebody that you have absolutely no idea that it's helping. I think if if we stay true to that as people, then you know the world changes for the better in the long run. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I I think that no one should be afraid to speak. I mean, that's the thing. Like, what what worries me most about people that sort of is that you realize that you're potentially maybe trying to stifle someone's voice, which I think is absolutely the worst. And 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 if you want to draw up like political sides, like I think both sides is guilty of trying to silence the other. When of course, when it's not about that, it shouldn't be about. You know, the the winner is not the loudest, right? That's the you got to get that out of your head. Oh no. Um, we're all here. We all have to exist together. We all have to find out the the best way to do that. And it's not by ripping at each other's throats. Exactly. That's never worked out. No. So, uh, <laughs> and yet we continually try to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's an it's an it's the easy path when you get angry to to just exile a certain side. And say this is my belief, and that's your belief, and we're going to stand here. And it's hard sometimes, especially with people you love. But it's uh, the most important thing is to be able to share your beliefs without trying to convert somebody. Absolutely. Speak your mind. Don't try to change somebody else's. Let them make that choice. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I generally start anything when we get into those conversations. I say, let me tell you why I feel the way I feel. Because you can't invalidate someone's feelings. That's the thing people don't understand. This is something I learned from my wife. You know, this by saying this made me feel this way, or this makes me feel this way, mm-hmm. you can't say, no, it didn't. Right? Like... If I said the sky is green, you could say, no, it's not. It's blue. But if I said you like if I said to you, you know what, Gareth, you said this to me and it really hurt. My my, my feelings were hurt. You can't say, no, it didn't. Right. right? Now we can start to have a conversation about why it did and w- did we understand one another and all that sort of stuff, but you can't say no, it didn't. And the the idea of feeling invalidation, I feel like there's a lot of that that goes on. And to your point, if you just recognize the feelings of the other person. My my thing I've said all along, and I think the one, if I could put my finger on one thing that I think would help cure the world or to begin the healing process or to speed it up is that we've just, we've lost empathy. We've just lost it. Like this ability to be able to say, I'm not that person and I don't have their experience or their circumstance, but I'm going to try very hard to try and understand where they are and why they're there and how they got there. If, if people would just do that more often, I think it would inherently make things better. Just try to understand the, your, your, 
the person that's that's next to you. And even if you don't understand, be okay with not understanding. And understand that they're there for whatever reason they need to be. And you're where you are for where you need to be. And we can communicate as human beings. We might not have the same views, but we can share our thoughts in a way that's not so demanding of of attention. It's it's like people so want, and I, and I don't want to say this, like it sounds judgmental to say it that way. I've met people that want me to believe what they believe mm-hmm. so strongly, so mm-hmm. passionately, and it's not what I believe. Right. And and it bothers them. And I want to look, I, I mean, I do my best to look them in the eyes and say, it's okay that you are where you're at. This is where I'm at. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But please hear what I'm saying too. Don't just shut your brain off to, to your one side. And I think the more that we can do that as a human race and listen to people versus just immediately saying they're wrong and I'm not going to listen to you, it will help us grow to a place of compromise and, and, and growth because through compromise you grow. And it may not be the, the quickest way you see to get to a certain point, but it might be the quickest way to get there as a as a race, as a whole, as a, a planet of people that are trying to figure this shit out. No doubt. One of my buddy David, my best friend up in Kentucky, you know, he has a saying that he does a lot, which is so true, and it's are you listening to understand or are you listening to respond? Because if you're listening mm. to respond, like if you're listening to try to formulate what you're gonna well, rebuttal. You're already thinking about what you're saying. You're not Focused on before let me the under- person's done saying what let they're me understand say. what let, so so I just and I and I'm bad at this because I tend to be an arguer and I, it's something I'm trying to be better at but that's I think about it all the time it's like nope I need to listen to understand and then I can respond there's no time limits it's not like I'm on the clock if I you know wait a minute after they're done it's okay mm-hmm. um, but you're t- you're a hundred percent right I mean I, it's just a I don't know, man. There's just so many, you know, it's like we focus so much on our uncommon ground when we have so much common ground and we just ignore it. Like, you know, I think about all the people that were in that concert I was at on Sunday night, all there because we have a love of that, those bands music and every cross section of everything. There was liberals and conservatives in there. There was white people and black people. There was men and women. There was religious people and non-religious people. There was, but it didn't matter. And it's like, I almost wish I could take like the, the music experience. And if you could apply it to your regular life, like, because we were all focused on the common thing, which is like, we really like this band and nobody was thinking about the other shit. But in our regular life, we don't do that. Like we focus on the differences rather than the similarities. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just, I, I wish we could get there. That got really deep. So, Thank God for music. Yeah. No. Are you kidding? Can you imagine a soundless world? It would just be the most awful experience ever. <laughs> I think we're lucky for for moments like that that remind us it's not that hard. It's really not, isn't it? It's really not. No. Um, so the takeaway, we got really deep. But make more videos <laughs> okay. when you're on the road because that shit's funny. 
Um, so what's next for you? So you've got, um, again, your band is, is the Earthlings. Well, yeah, that's the band. Right now, Nikki and I uh, are doing, we're kind of branching off, and Nikki is my main songwriting partner, my best friend in the world. Uh, we have been writing songs together for about seven years now. And we're kind of taking a step away from the full band aspect of things because normally when we tour, it's not the full band. The full band happens around the South, but when we tour around the country, it's really hard to take seven, eight people in a van and, and do what we do. So uh, we we both kind of took a step back this winter. Uh, I grew a beard and she... Uh, <laughs> Didn't grow a beard? You know, started playing drums on her knees. And, Did you uh, try to get her to buy a be- grow a beard? N- n- <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. That was not not my. She does play drums on her knees. Oh, like, she loves it, man. Yeah, she, she it looks like somebody whipped her a thousand times every morning. She bruises like a peach, but it's part of what we do. Like, and I, I would never try to stop her doing that. It's like it's the beauty of what we do on stage because it's so true and so genuine. If you feel a beat on your knees, girl, you better play that beat on your knees and 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 just be. 100% here right now and she is and it's I think that's a I don't know it's a it's a attractive quality to what we what we bring to the stage but that's that's where we're at right now uh, we're so, starting a, a, a duo thing it's called so ink and ash ink and ash, right? ink and ash and we're gonna make a record we just did a Kickstarter we asked for 20,000 we raised 26,000 we so have, let's we, pause we, for one second because okay. I want to talk about that. You you've really leveraged that to great success. That has to be, again, to your point. Like, I think in music it's hard because you know unless you happen to have that interaction with someone on a one on one level, like the guy that came up to you, you know, at the festival, mm-hmm. that, you know, told you. It's it's hard to really tangibly see kind of impact, but like I love Kickstarter as a. I'm actually a person that will randomly go and invest in. Like I stay on that site, and if I yeah. see something that I think is cool, because as an entrepreneur and someone that's done tech stuff, I know how hard it is for people to have ideas sometimes to be able to have resources to go do mm-hmm. it. Um, you you're the people that like what you do have really come to like really gone on the mat for for you. I mean they've you've you've been able to do this a few times. This right? is the third time. Yeah. Uh, the first time I did it was a complete. Uh, <laughs> I was I was a student learning. I mean, I, I think I was one of the first Kickstarters as a musician. Uh, Emily Kate Boyd, a friend of mine in the Atlanta music sure. scene, did an internship with Seth Godin. Yeah, uh, who is if you if you've never heard genius. of Seth Godin, he gets paid many, 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 many thousands of dollars to speak for thirty minutes about marketing. Read his blog if you're into that thing; it's amazing. She did an internship with him for six months, came back to Atlanta, and the last thing he told her was, "Hey, check out this new beta site called Kickstarter, that is a crowdfunding platform for artists to raise money to to achieve their dreams or whatever they're trying to do." And, and me in that point in my life, and still this day, I, I have a very hard time asking people for help. Sure, uh, I, I I really do. I, I, it's it's a it's a block, even though I've gotten past it in ways where I've been able to. But back then, it was like, oh my god, you're telling me I need. She she's like, we have to try this. He Seth Godin told me it was a new thing. Let's let's ask your fans to help you fund enough money to go out on a real tour. That was the first one I did, and we asked for two thousand dollars, I think, and as a beta test, 
the site wasn't even really up and running yet. And we not only hit our goal within like two days from the fans that I had at that point in my career, but it went to, I think it was like $6,000-something on that one. So it let me know, I don't need this fancy record deal. I don't need to be looking for all these things that I've been told I should be looking for my whole life. I have this base of fans that are behind me, that believe in me, and will lead me to where I need to get to if I just ask them to help. That was the first one. The second one was back in 2013, uh, which was similar to this one. It was 20,000. I think we got 23. And this one, just recently for this Ink and Ash record, we asked for the same amount because that's about what, after all the costs, is what it's figured up to be, what we need to get in a studio, make a record, pay for the producers and the production and the distribution. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it, but that's that's the number where we've set. And not only did we exceed it this time, but we exceeded it by $6,000 because of the people that we've reached with our music still following our story and still waiting to hear what the next chapter is. And they and to have that that confirmation of belief that's out there in the world that you don't you don't feel it all the time because the winters happen and you you hibernate in your house and you grow a beard and you don't really know how many people are waiting for you to come back out in the spring and 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 come, you know, play a show in their living room or a venue. When, when we do that and we do ask for help and they they show that they're still there with you, it gives you every bit of the uh, the confidence to uh, to continue pursuing your path of making art for a career. Yeah, and I think that I totally understand the not asking for help thing. I, I suffer from that disease and it's not usually, but it doesn't have to be monetary. It could be lots of reasons. I oh, mean, yeah. It's something that actually, again, I, I go back to therapy, right, when I... Which it's funny now, I feel like I talk about going to therapy a lot. Um, but I do it because putting on your favorite album, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's my best therapy. But, but the reason I do it though is because I actually had some things that like listen, like listen to my favorite music wouldn't help. And but at the time, I was one of those people that didn't necessarily believe in that, you know, or that like I should be. It, it, it's kind of a really misplaced idea that I should be I should be strong enough to handle this on my own, which I think is a huge mistake for anyone. It doesn't have to be therapy. It's just this idea of like I can do it by myself, right? Um, which is an okay thought to have unless it's not correct. Well, sure, and 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 also how you apply it because it's just like if it's like I want to build a end table, I should be strong enough. Well, yeah. If I'm in seriously in depression because I've lost my dad and my world is dark and I'm taken out of my wife and, you know, like the things that I went through in that period, I needed something more than that. Yeah. And I talk about it a lot because I feel like people, do, you know, have that. There's just a stigma and they won't. And it's the best decision I ever made. I, I think it, it, it probably saved my marriage. It probably saved my life. Um, and I'm just happier and more equipped to deal with things now because I had someone help me understand how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, that's tangential, but I always just try to, if I have an opportunity, I think I make the tip because my point is if anybody's listening to this and you feel like it and you haven't gotten help and you just feel really lost, you should yeah. go get help. And I think about looking at like, again, talking about icons is like Chris Cornell and these sort of situations in the world where I see these lights extinguished that were so bright and so important to me. And not that I don't know, I have no idea what he was doing, but I know I've been in a place where it was really bad 
and it took that to get me out. So I just like to encourage people to not be afraid um, to go and do it if possible. However, what I was driving at, what I was driving at with that whole point was um, that again we talked about this idea of a string that connects you to all of the people that like what you do, even if you've never met them before, and the thing that's amazing about Kickstarter and like these sorts of things is, is that people it's a lot different if I went to someone because I was an alcoholic and said, give me money so I can go buy a bottle of whiskey then, you know, or help me, you know, (laughs) but it's different when, because it's a, it's a transactional relationship, right? Like you get something, they get something. And I think that especially when it comes to, what I would consider not because if you too did a Kickstarter, people would be like, fuck off, right? Like, give me a break. But there are people out there where it's necessary. It's, um, and, and if you like something, it helps all those people that contributed. It's an opportunity for them to go, I get to be, I want to, I can be a part of this. So it's not charity because charity is, you don't get anything, you know, charity is just, it, it makes them part of the team, but they get to, you know, people do it willingly because for whatever reason they want to do it, but they're getting something out of it too. And right. I love that it's out there. I just love it. I think, because I think more music in the world is better. I tell people all the time, you know, and this goes back to this whole project and it's like, create, it's like, yeah, man, go like sing, play, write, do your thing because more, there to me like if you don't know economics or not but there's a thing in economics called the law of diminishing returns and the law of diminishing returns says that the value gained from the second thing can never be as much as the first thing makes so, sense to me so and it's sort of a universal theory but i say that the law of diminishing returns does not apply to these kinds of things more is always better more people making music is better more people writing books is better more people writing poetry is better more people you know, creating is better. And, and I think that there are lots of people that have it in them, but for self doubt or a lack of support in their life or whatever, they don't run, they don't chase it because there's a million reasons why, but more is better. And I just, in these kinds of things. And I just think, even if not everyone listens to it, I think I've got nine episodes of this podcast and I think maybe I've gotten like a thousand downloads which is like 970 more downloads than I thought I would get, to be honest with you. Um, but that's, I'm not but you doing didn't, it. You didn't start this. I'm not ca- doing it for that. You didn't care about that. I'm not doing it for that. You do it because it gives you a light to, uh, to express your thoughts and views with the world for who wants to listen. But people have come back to me, and this is the best part about it, though. Like, I've had people that, said, that have complimented me and said, that was really interesting, or I really enjoyed it. But a few people have said, I think I want to do that. And mm-hmm. that makes me happier than... Of course. You know, and I'm like, you should do it. I'll help you anyway. Like, if, tell me what you want to know. You want to know how to pick out a mixing board? You want to know what I use for my rig? Like, you want to know where I host it and how I did it? I'll help you because we need... Again, when you talk about healing, like, these things... This is the These kinds of things, your music, our conversation today a great book. This is the ointment for the world. Mm -hmm. This is the medicine that I think can make the world better. Without a doubt. And it's just like, I just, I, I love that. And again, I think this sounds so stupid, but like, I feel kind of big brotherly with you a little. Mm -hmm. That's probably condescending of me. I think it's only because I'm a little older, not because of really, but like, 
I just feel like I was kind of there when it started. And I think I, I'm continually proud of you. And again, I don't mean for that to sound condescending. I think it's, I just, I've just seen your whole journey and I love it. I mean, it's, I, I, I think that it's a model. I, I feel like people should look at your example and say, you can do this. If you want to do it, you can go do it. There's a way to do it and be true to yourself in the process and not destroy yourself and not, you know, do all those things. Well, so there's, there's a reason I'm here today is because I, you called me and told me this is something you're starting and you're doing. And I hear the excitement in your voice that it means something powerful to you. And if you'd have called me and not sounded so excited, <laughs> it would have been something I would have probably thrown to the side. But I knew in my heart that this was the right place for me to be today, to come share this conversation with you, to come speak our minds on where we're, where we're at in our, in our worlds, even though we haven't seen each other in years. To be honest, I can't even remember the last time. I guess it was Mike Lee's benefit. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I think it was maybe yeah, two which years. Which is a whole other story. Or yeah, I think I actually saw you ten. But the fact that I, ask. you know, this world spins so fast. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and our lives are just this blink of an eye. But you have interactions with people that mean something to you, and when you hear an excitement in their voice about something that they're starting, you, I always am drawn to that like a moth to the flame. Let me let me come let me come back in your world and and see where you're at and share with you where I'm at, and the fact that we can do it on a microphone and and not only can people hear what we're saying but people might be inspired to start a podcast or people might be inspired to pick up a guitar and play a song because of our conversation today. Uh, what's better than that? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, and and you're right, and it's funny with us because you're one of those relationships of mine where. Anytime we talk, even if we haven't talked in a long time, I always feel like there's a lot of substance. Like, I feel like we talk about things that are important. Mm -hmm. Even if on the surface they feel superficial, there's always some level of depth to it. We'll get to the root. <laughs> but, I, but I think that's, again, I think that speaks to your character, and I think that's why you have fans, and I think it resonates through your music. But um, I just feel like you're just, you're a bright, you are a bright light in the world, and we need more of that. And I'm I'm thankful for our relationship, and I'm thankful you came to indulge me with this little what a hobby of mine that's <laughs> become an obsession um, in a good way. Um, well, it's uh, it's reciprocal. Well, man, I you know, like I said, um, this has been amazing. I want to do it again. I want to bring Nikki in so yeah. we can talk about that. We're gonna bring Nikki in. We're gonna do that because I know she's out of town tonight, but. We'll come and we'll come and do another one and give you a little bit more of what Ink and Ash is all about. Where yeah. we're where we're headed. I'm gonna make you bring an instrument that time. Um so uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh again, um, you know, support art, support music, no matter who it is, support Gareth. It's uh Gareth Asher. Support each other. Support each other, that's absolutely true. Uh G A R E T H A S H E R dot com. Thank you for the spelling. Uh and uh <laughs> I spell mine too because I'll get seen and shaun and all kinds of stuff. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, do you tweet? Do you oh, tweet yeah. much? Gareth so Asher Gareth, at Twitter at, at Gareth Asher. I, I don't. It's not my strongest platform. I'm more Facebook and Instagram, but occasionally I'll throw a Twitter out there. Another tweet. thing too is, is you generally are pretty interactive with people on your website, aren't you? Oh yeah. I, I mean, they have their response rate 
Because you have one of those community a, if sites. If you're not responding, you let people know it. <laughs> right. You have one of those community sites where people can actually come in and like oh, yeah. set up and their stuff and put post pictures and do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I'm, I love the interaction with fans, you know, and you you hear stories of people, musicians, artists, whatever, that uh, that aren't so welcoming of that. But that's that's a big part of who I am. Uh, if you got a question to ask me and I feel like it pertains to something that is relevant to uh to my world i want to i want to give you an answer yeah that's so great but i mean and being accessible is cool but go check that out um all the <laughs> albums are on what it's time for another glass of wine it right? is uh all of his albums are on itunes um go check those out if you guys want to come see me obviously i'm at sean atl on twitter it's s-h-a-w-n-a-t-l in the house represent and what, what? Uh, and uh then this is uh, Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. It's tmipod.com. These are also available on iTunes, um, so you can get them there. But um, thanks a lot for sticking around. Um, love one another every day. And until next time, press on. Press on.